Want to listen to this Ivory Tower Boiler Room episode ad-free? Head on over to our Patreon, where you will get this episode and all of our episodes ad-free. And you can see our video episode, including this one right now, where you'll see my beautiful face and the guest's beautiful face. Who doesn't love that? And I am so excited to announce that all of you can get a one-week free trial on our Patreon. Join the ITBR professor level and you unlock all of Mary's True Crime and Academia Patreon episodes, our rewatch show, including Queer as Folk and Smash. You can even listen to us dissect Scream and The Exorcist. So head to patreon.com backslash ivory tower boiler room, join the one week free trial and see what you're missing out on. And while you're at it, please follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Rate, follow, and subscribe to us on Apple and Spotify podcasts. Thanks so much. And I hope that you enjoy all of our Ivory Tower Boiler Room episodes. Hey, true crime friends. Welcome back to another episode of True Crime in Academia. I am your host, Mary DePippi. I hope you all had a wonderful week this week and are looking forward to a restful, wonderful weekend. I'm, you know, still in the recovery process, you know, doing okay. I was actually able to take a yoga class last week. Um, I didn't do anything crazy. I wasn't trying to do everything to the best of my abilities, you know, but just trying to move around as much as I could while also, you know, trying to check in with my abdominals and making sure that, you know, I'm not pushing it too far, you know. So I was modifying just, you know, as much as I could and not really focusing too, too much on core work, um, obviously. But... You know, so it's going well. Like, aside from that, I've also this week been trying to just kind of engage the muscles a bit. Like, um, not fully tense or flex them either way, but kind of just hold them for a little bit. And um, just do like 10 second intervals. Just to, like I said, check in. Just get some engagement there and a little bit of movement, but gentle and just checking in and... You know, next week I'm trying to get a little bit more lighter ab, like core work in essentially like um, glute bridges, for example. Um, I know a lot of people don't realize they like, obviously the name is glute bridge, but you can actually like hold your abdominals and like work your abdominals in those positions. So light things like that, pelvic floor exercises all of those things, you know, trying to get myself not only back, but better than I was before. So it's just taking some time. Um, I also have like a hectic next couple of weeks. Um, we just got a lot of stuff going on at work and 
it's exciting. It's just always a lot of, I mean, stress, but good stress. And it will be fine. You know, we just got to get through it. That's kind of another thing. I've kind of just resigned <laughs> to just kind of getting through at this point. Um, I know that probably sounds terrible, but <laughs> for me, it actually is great because I was allowing myself to just be overly frustrated by just like the hecticness, like again, not just of work. Cause I mean, that's very like one thing, like, and also very minor in comparison to the other stressors that are occurring in like my personal life and other things like that. So, you know, because I am a busy, a very busy person. So because of that, you know, I have a lot of stress and, you know, I'm just, you know, it's all going to work out in the end. That's, that's really what it is. And I think that's why I've resigned so easily. It's like kind of just, you know, it's just a period in my life. I just have to put up with it and it's going to get better. It's going to be fine. And I'm planning on also in the next couple of weeks, trying to make sure I'm practicing my yoga more and more. So hopefully we can kind of let go and relax and, you know, have some peace there. So, you know, but like I said, at this moment in time, though, I'm content with the fact that I feel like I'm just like, okay, not going to think about it maybe too much, but we're just, we're just going to get through, (laughs) you know? So I guess in the spirit of that, let's get into this week's news update. Our first case actually starts back in 2011. A man named Nigel Leet, a UK primary school teacher at the time, had been arrested for sexually abusing five young girls over the course of five years. So his students. Yeah, I just want to make that clear. They were his students. So he was recalled or sent back to prison after his initial release in 2020 because they thought he had been rehabilitated and could be out. He was sent back because of something called a breach of license. And from everything that I kind of looked at, it seems like it's kind of like a parole violation. But if you know better out there, come in the comments, let me know. Correct me if I'm wrong. I would like to know. Since then, he's been remanded back to custody and will have a public parole hearing this month. Now, Leet is considered to be a predatory pedophile and dangerous again because of this license breach. And even though it didn't say specifically what he did, you know, I just, I, I hope they keep this guy in jail for the rest of his life. That's all. You know, I don't, I don't think we really need to consider letting him out again. I think, you know, once they have this hearing... I'm sure they'll decide, or at least I'm hoping they're going to decide that he needs to be back in prison again. That they just just keep him there. You know? Congresswoman Lauren Boebert's son, 18-year-old Tyler J. Boebert, was arrested on felony theft charges in connection with a string of property theft and vehicle trespasses this past week. Or not this past week. I should say it was on Tuesday they were reporting it. Yeah, it was Tuesday that this was reported. Now, the Colorado native is facing four felony counts of criminal possession of ID documents of multiple victims, 
one felony count of conspiracy to commit a felony, and over 15 other misdemeanor and petty offenses. The investigation is currently ongoing, so this is all the information that we have. To me, based off of like the ID documents, it sounds like it could be like a mass identity theft type of thing. But, you know, it's obvious, you know, I don't know. It's too early to say. Um, But I will keep you guys posted on this case as things develop. Now, these last two, they're not really cases. Um, They're just, well, one technically is, but um, they are just Bravo news stories that I have heard and I just want to talk about. So, first one... Brittany Cartwright and Jax Taylor announced their separation via their podcast episode. Brittany spoke on the podcast when reality hits, saying that it's very hard to talk about. She has, you know, confirmed that she's moved out of the home to get some space for her mental health and, you know, to just send them all of the prayers. Um, I personally really want them to make it so I you know am sending all of the prayers good vibes all the things um you know for those of you who don't watch the show Jax is a fucking stubborn asshole and honestly I feel like we all use that like all of us meaning like the ones who watch the show use that like as an excuse But also, I mean, like, I don't know how else you say it or, like, how you feel when someone is just not going to change and continue their stupid behavior, you know? It's exhausting to keep explaining (laughs) how, you know, Jax could be a better person and could do all these things to make life for him and Brittany so much better. But, you know, he's, he's Jax. He's not going to. So, you know. But anyway, I love Brittany. And I really just want her to be happy. You know, they've always seemed like such a strong couple after they got married and got through the cheating rumors and stuff from earlier on in the seasons before they got married. Um, They haven't revealed any more details as to why they're separating at this point. Um. You know, so, like, they always seem like such a strong couple, especially when they got, after they got married. So, I just hope they're able to come back from whatever this is. Because, um, like I said, Jax has always, even himself, has admitted that he's just extremely difficult to deal with. So, maybe, you know, I don't think there's an issue with people needing two houses. You know? If, you, if you're willing to make it work and you have the, the means, like, they might, you know, maybe that's, maybe it's for the best. Who knows? But, like I said, I, I hope they can come back for this. But, you know, I really just hope that they are able to do what they need to do as far as what's best for them and their happiness and their happiness of their family. Lastly, Rachel Raquel Levis is suing Tom Sandoval and Ariana Maddox for revenge porn, distribution of revenge porn, and emotional distress. This came out yesterday, which is the day today, is the one-year anniversary of Scandoval coming out. You know, when the whole world found out that the two of them were having this affair 
for seven months. Um, I kind of hate myself for forgetting about this. Like, obviously, it's no secret. <laughs> or at least it shouldn't be. I don't like Rachel. I think she, like Tom, aren't exactly remorseful about the affair that they had. And, you know, I just, you know, I just don't think that they're, I think they're more sorry about being caught than they are actually about what they did. Um, you know, but anyway, that doesn't mean that scumbag Tom gets to just take a video of their intimate FaceTime chat without her consent. You know, that is extremely fucked up. You just don't do that. And there's actually laws about against it in California. Like, it's actually illegal to do that. Now, as far as Ariana is concerned, I, again, I'm like, yeah, I can understand why Rachel is making these charges or making these charges against her. You know, she did... Ariana sent the video to herself and allegedly showed it or sent it to other people. Allegedly. In some respect, I understand why Ariana sent the video to herself. I mean, at this point, Tom has just proven to be a complete liar and piece of shit. So maybe she needed or felt the need to have evidence of their affair, like as a means of proof And also, on the other hand, I can kind of see in the moment how, you know, she might have been rage showing people. I know that's probably not really a thing, but, like, she's probably just so mad and just wanted to, like, have people know about it that she might have sent or shown them. Allegedly. I don't know for a second. I'm just saying. If this was, if she did, I could see how this could maybe have been the mindset behind it. And, again, while I might understand it does not make it okay. You know, I do think that, you know, Rachel is entitled to something for that. That's, you know, they should not, that video itself is, you know, in question, you know, should have never seen the light of day, should never have been filmed to begin with, you know, so I can completely see that. As far as, like, the emotional distress goes... I don't know that there's going to be enough evidence to prove that. I mean, it'll be very interesting to see what they come out with in the next, you know, if they decide to come out with more of the filing. Um, If they haven't already. I haven't checked 100%, to be honest with you. Um, I was just looking at my Instagram feed. So I apologize for not having all of the information, but you can also look this up yourself. It's also reality TV, so I didn't really feel the need to fully deep dive this but I just found it interesting also interesting because of the timing I I know I don't like her and I'm always going to be suspicious of her and her motives um so I don't know if that I mean it's I'm not going to say she did it on purpose but it could have just been purely coincidental that you know, it just so happened that all the paperwork was ready to be signed, submitted, whatever, you know, that process is. So that's totally possible, you know, but again, it's, it's just interesting. But, um, you know, like I said, with that said, you know, that, that never should have had, like, that was not okay what they did. Absolutely not. So, all right, that is all I have for you guys in the news update. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to dive into this week's case. 
Hi, this is Dr. Andrew Rimby, and I'm really excited to talk to you all about one of our ITBR sponsors, Broadview Press. Broadview Press is an independent academic publisher in the humanities that produces high-quality, pedagogically useful books for use in university and college classrooms. They publish mainly in English studies, writing, philosophy, and history. They are always publishing with an eye towards diversity, building a strong list of titles from women, people of color, and authors from other marginalized groups. If you haven't heard my Broadview Press interviews, you need to. Recently, I just had on Dr. Shannon Day, who talked about her book, Beyond the Binary, Thinking About Sex and Gender. And in the summer, I had on Dr. Jason Holt, who gave us all a comprehensive history of what it means to be a philosopher who studies sporting culture. And of course, we went back to ancient Greek, literature, mythology, history, to look at the roots of athleticism. And... Last year, I had on Dr. Jeffrey Andrew Weinstock, who's actually going to be coming on the podcast soon to give his thoughts on the new Fall of the House of Usher Netflix series. He talked all about pop culture for beginners. And Broadview Press is offering an exclusive discount because of our sponsorship. So head to broadviewpress.com where you're going to see such a wide range of literature. Use the code Ivory Tower, I-V-O-R-Y, T-O-W-E-R for 20% off site-wide all of their books. Again, it's broadviewpress.com. Enjoy your reading. Are you a fan of LGBTQ plus books, plays, movies, TV shows? Well, then I have the magazine for you. It's called The Gay and Lesbian Review. The GNLR is a bi-monthly magazine of history, culture, and politics that publishes essays in a wide range of disciplines, as well as a slew of reviews of books, plays, and movies. Each issue brings you consistently intelligent, lively, thought-provoking articles focused on a unifying theme, and it brings together the leading minds on the topic. So I just had on Dr. Richard Schneider Jr., the founder and editor-in-chief of the GNLR, for the GNLR's 30th anniversary. Happy birthday, GNLR. Dr. Richard Schneider talked about their special volume called Outer Appearances, More Faces from the Annals of the GNLR, illustrations by Charles Heffling. They cover current LGBTQ artists such as Harvey Firestein, Melissa Etheridge, Alan Cumming, James Whiteside, Alison Bechdel, and even David Sedaris, and of course, many others like Stephen Sondheim. There's even a supplemental issue that comes with your commemorative volume. And Andrew Halloran, the writer of Dancer from the Dance, he reviews a book called Morris about E.M. Farster's Morris, written by one of our ITBR guests, David Grevin. So we can't wait for you all to experience this beautiful 30th anniversary GNLR issue. Have you heard some of my GNLR interviews, including Dr. Andrew Lear's discussion about male-male love in ancient Greek society and Ignacio Darnad opening and blasting the closet door in the queer male art world? Well, definitely make sure you listen to them after this episode. Head to glreview.org. Make sure you subscribe to their magazine. You'll see there's a section that says subscribe at the top. Enter the promo code ITBR50. That's ITBR50 to receive 50% off, 50% off any print or digital subscription.
Enjoy your reading. LGBT stories are universal, but each one speaks to the individual heart and soul of the writer telling it. Do you have a story to tell? Or have you been moved by an LGBT book, film, painting, television show, or other form of media? Then the Gay and Lesbian Review wants to hear from you. The GNLR believes in bringing awareness to queer art and artists through reviews, commentary, and thought pieces in which the author relates their personal lives to a particular piece of art, a novel, a movie. In addition to the print magazine, the GNLR also publishes articles on its blog. So you can see all of this on glreview.org. That's G-L-R-E-V-I-E-W.org. Remember, you get 50% off your subscription of the GL Review magazine when you use the promo code ITBR50. That's 50% off your print or digital subscription when you use promo code ITBR50. To learn more about submitting an article for the GNLR, Visit their writer's guidelines. The link is located at the bottom of their homepage. And if you have any questions, email Stephen Hemrick. That's S-T-E-P-H-E-N dot H-E-M-R-I-C-K at glreview.org. The GNLR and its readers can't wait to see what you have to say. Matrice LaVon Richardson was born on April 30, 1985, in Covina, California, to parents Latisse Sutton and Michael Richardson. Matrice's parents separated early in her life, and she was mainly raised by her mother and stepfather, Larry Sutton. Her childhood seemed very normal. She grew up in a loving home in the suburb of Los Angeles, and when she would go and visit her father, he actually lived with his grandmother, her great-grandmother, in Los Angeles. Her mother stated that she was a joy growing up. She was such a ball of energy. She loved to laugh. She loved to joke. She was involved in singing and dancing and running track. And after graduating from South Hills High School, she went on to attend California State University in Fullerton. Matrice graduated in 2008 with a bachelor's degree in psychology and was preparing to apply to graduate school. She was working towards becoming a child psychologist with a focus on working with kids in the foster care system. I mean, I honestly, I really, I do. I get pissed at like God, the universe, the fates when they allow someone like this to be taken from this world. It's just, it is honestly the most frustrating thing to me personally. Now, during this time, she was living with her great-grandmother that her father had lived with, and her name is Mildred. She, like I said, lived in Los Angeles. Now, I'm not sure like exactly when, but Matrice did come out as gay or lesbian, and at some point started dating her girlfriend, Tessa Moon, the year before. Now, using her dance skills, she occasionally worked as a go-go dancer at an LGBT strip club on Friday nights in Long Beach, which honestly, like, I love that. I think that is, like, one of the coolest, like, college-age jobs. Like, I wish I did it, honestly. I never, you know, followed through, unfortunately. But, like, the people that I know at the time who were doing it, they seemed to love it, and I was just always jealous of how much fun that they were having. 
because I think I've talked about it on this podcast, but the first time I went to college, like straight out of high school, I went for dance. So, you know, it was just for us, it always just seemed like, or at least for me, I guess I shouldn't speak for all of us, but you know, it just always seemed like a cool job because you could just kind of like let loose and look hot and get paid, you know? During the week, Matrice worked as an intern for a forensic psychologist and was also a secretary at a freight forwarding service. Another really interesting fact about Matrice that I really wanted to put in here is that she also competed in a beauty pageant. I'm not sure if she won, but she definitely competed. I can't imagine that she did not make it as far as like humanly possible, um, you know, because she is absolutely stunning. You'll see in the Instagram photos and also with her performing background I'm sure that she was just wowing judges left and right on September 16th 2009 24 year old Matrice drove to a restaurant called Jeffries or Joffreys because it's spelled G-E-O-F and she went there after work after her freight forwarding service secretary job from the moment she pulled into the parking lot she began acting strangely So when she pulls in, she's approached by the valet who told police and detectives that the inside of her car just appeared to be completely ransacked and disheveled. She then got into his car, which I think from the sounds of it seemed normal. But once she was in there, she started rifling through his CDs. And when he asked her if she was okay, he said that she replied, quote, it's subliminal, end quote. One of the hostesses working at the time named Caroline also witnessed this strange interaction as uh, Matrice and the valet approached the restaurant. She stated that when Matrice spoke to the valet, she was talking about the language of numbers and asking if he understood it. When he told her no, she then responded saying that she was it was okay and that she was just there to avenge Michael Jackson's death. So, you know, I mean, clearly it doesn't take a rocket science to be like, okay, something's something's wrong. Because even if she was acting normally, like clearly there's something going on mentally where her speech isn't, you know, clear, something's off. There's an episode of House, if anyone is familiar with that show, where this guy starts speaking and he thinks he's talking normally, but then he can like start to hear himself and... He's not saying what he thinks he's saying, essentially. But again, overall, her responses are not normal. Matrice was eventually seated, and she ordered a $65 Kobe steak and a cocktail. At some point, she got up and joined another party at a table on, like, the other side of the restaurant, and, like, sat down and started talking to people, and... You know, when the people at the party were questioned by detectives, they told police that while her behavior was extremely strange, they felt that she was maybe a little unbalanced, mentally ill, and that they felt that, like, her intentions were not at all malicious. But they also didn't think that she was drunk either because she wasn't slurring her words, but she was speaking in a lot of riddles. After some time, the party gets up to leave and Matrice gets up as well and starts to walk out of the restaurant without paying her bill. When the hostess, Caroline, approaches her, she tells her, oh, it's okay. 
God told her it would be taken care of and some other like, you know, other crazy. I'm sorry. I shouldn't say crazy because I'm not trying to make it sound bad, but just jumbled like it just wasn't making sense. Matrice also did not have any of her belongings on her. So she didn't have her wallet or her phone, like her purse. She had left them all in the car. So the only number that she was able to remember was her great-grandmother, Mildred. Because obviously the hostess at this point is very aware that something is off. That she's not mentally okay. And, you know, I mean, obviously she's attempting to leave and saying that God is going to take care of it for her. So, you know, she is trying to be sympathetic, but also trying to not let this woman just out into the wild as well. So she's trying to help her and like say like, oh, who can we get in contact to come help you? So of course she, like I said, she can only remember her great grandmother's number, her great grandmother's number, Mildred. But because Mildred is like a 90 year old woman and it's later at night and she can't drive, she's not able to pick Matrice up. But from the sound of her voice on the phone, she's very concerned and eventually does call Latisse, Matrice's mother. Now, despite the fact that obviously Matrice's behavior is concerning even in and of itself, it's not normal. According to one or two sources that I found, uh, one of which I had, the other one was the LA Times and they only give you so many chances to look at their stuff. Um they had said that she had possibly been diagnosed with bipolar disorder or had been, I'm sorry, not possibly, but had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Again, I didn't really see this anywhere else. It does kind of make some sense, you know, as, you know, that being the situation and her having an episode potentially. Um, But we're going to talk a little bit more about that later, but I did kind of just want to touch on that briefly. Now, Caroline and the rest of the restaurant staff, like I said, they really worked to try and do the best that they could to help her. They even like were just like, look, even if we just pay her bill so that way, you know, she we don't have to like call the cops because she's not paying her bill because we know she's mentally not okay. You know, maybe we can do that to avoid that whole situation and then won't have to call the cops. But then they were also like, well, we don't think it's safe for her to just get up and leave. Like, yeah, her car, her purse, everything that she would need in life is in her car. But they're hoping that the police are going to take her to a mental facility or like just a hospital to the mental psych ward. So that way she can be treated and not be on her own. You know, because like I said, they just didn't want that for her you know they wanted to make sure that she would be safe and I completely understand their thought process on this you know they all witnessed the strange behavior and like I said they just seemed genuinely concerned for her while being so you know they feel like they have to call the police in hopes to get her the right help unfortunately none of that happens So you all know that I am such a fan of musical theater and classic movies. So I can't wait for you all to listen to one of my good friend's podcasts. It's called That Old Gay Classic Cinema, hosted by Christian Garcia. 
It's a podcast that looks at classic cinema films that we know and love. And he was inspired by Turner Classic Movies and the great movie ride. Remember that amazing ride where the Wicked Witch of the West rose up in a burst of flame in Disney? That was one of my favorite rides. I'm so sad it closed. So while looking at classic films, Christian is so excited to look at it with a queer lens. And he brings on friends like myself to talk about all of these films. I was on the first episode when we discussed The Sound of Music. I've been on an episode of Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo. He just released an episode about the Philadelphia story. He's done Meet Me in St. Louis, Sweet Charity, Psycho, Mary Poppins, Hello, Dolly. He had on Down the Yellow Brick Road hosts and the Garland Gab hosts to talk about The Wizard of Oz. So make sure that you listen to That Old Gay Classic Cinema on Apple and Spotify and follow him on TikTok and Instagram at That Old Gay Classic Cinema. Okay, start watching the classic movies and make sure you listen to Christian's podcast. I am here in Port Jefferson, New York on Long Island in one of my favorite stores. It is the Soapbox NY a Bath and Body Boutique. I'm here with one of the co-owners, Janine. Hi, Janine. Hi, Andrew. How are you? Thank you. Good. So I know you have many winter scents to walk us through. So let's yes. get started. This is from company Michelle Design Works, another one of our favorites. Room spray that you can use any room in your house, just kind of freshens up the room a bit. And what is this by Michelle Design Also Works? by Michelle Design Works is Winter Blooms, one of their new scents this holiday season. It's great. It's um, a hand wash. You can use it in your kitchen or your bathroom. And then here's something to follow it up with. Exactly. It's a hand and body lotion. And then what is this beautiful decorative candle here? One of our favorites that we actually sell mm. all year round because it's so popular. This is the scent of Fraser Fur by Times. I think I'm becoming addicted to it. Yes. I think you are because you already own one, I believe. I own one <laughs> and it is a decorative Handle for me because I'm about to open it, but it's just in such I know the packaging a beautiful is, package. I don't know what's better, the packaging or the scents. I'm using it wonderful. as a holiday decoration. So cool. I'll get to the candle eventually, everyone. Well, but it's wonderful because with Times and their Fraser Fur, not only do they carry the candles, but they also make it in the scents in the diffuser, in soap, the hand lotion, the um, the hand soap. It's just a great line and a great scent. So, Janine, how can everyone out there get their hands on? your hand and body and even pajama products. Well, we'd be more than happy to see you in our shop. We're located at 18 Chandler Square in Port Jefferson Village. You could always call us to place an order. We're happy to ship to you. Our phone number is 631-509-1424. You can place an order on our website, soapboxny.com. And you could also find us on Instagram or TikTok at the soapboxny. So many options. Mm -hmm. I can't wait for all of you out there to just enjoy what I love so much about the Soapbox NY. So with yeah. that, thank you so much. Happy winter, everyone. The holiday season may be behind us, but guess what's lurking around the corner? Picture that little baby with a bow and arrow. Yes, Valentine's Day is almost here. And I'm thinking of what gift can I get that my boyfriend will absolutely love and gush over? Well, he is a horror movie fanatic, so I think I have just the thing that he'll die for. Pun intended. My good friend Mandy Bangle is the owner of Mandy Made It. 
a craft company where she specializes in crochet and pre-cut handmade gifts. So whether your partner is a horror movie fanatic, I'm sure that they have a TV show they love. Maybe there's a book that they love, a music artist, a sports team that they cheer for. Mandy has you covered from shirts, hats, beanie hats, which I love to wear at the gym, car decals, beer and coffee koozies, keychains, stuffed animals, signs that you want to put all over your apartment. She is ready to create any customized order. So head to Instagram right now, type in at Mandy made it. That's M A N D E E made it slide into her DMS and she is ready to start working on your order. Just send her a few ideas. You could say, Hey, my boyfriend really loves horror movies or Hey, my boyfriend really loves the Broadway musical wicked. I'm sure she will figure out some concoction for you and say that you heard her ad on the ivory tower boiler room because she's going to give you an exclusive ITBR free gift. She's also working on a new line of ITBR merchandise. So I can't wait to share all of that information with you. Make sure you mention at ivory tower boiler room when your gift arrives from Mandy. So I can share it out on our Instagram. I hope you all enjoy your gifts. When the police arrive at the restaurant, Matrice is given a field sobriety test, which she passed. Police then searched her car and found some unfavorable things. They found less than like a half ounce of weed, some empty unnamed pill bottles, or at least I say unnamed because I was not able to find them, but they just say blanketly empty pill bottles. So again, just touching a little bit, if, you know, she has this bipolar disorder you know maybe it's potentially her medication that she's out of and this is why she's having an episode again can't 100% say that for sure I was not able to find that information they also found a lot well maybe not a lot but a decent amount of alcohol in her trunk they found two gallons of vodka half a case of beer and half a container of tequila Again, you know, that's a decent party, not a banger or a rager or anything, nothing. I mean, it would definitely be an intense night, but, you know, it doesn't seem like you're having a huge, huge party. But that's still a lot for just one person just to have chilling in their trunk. Not saying anything bad or negative about Matrice here. I'm just pointing it out that that, you know, that's just my opinion. (laughs) Like that, if I had that, I would be like, oh my God, that's, that's intense. But again, we don't know. She could have just been holding this for someone. She could have been going to a party. She could have, or not a party, but maybe like a get together. Who knows? There's tons of explanations for it. I'm just pointing out for the fact that it's just, in my opinion, a lot. Again, no judgments. So even after all of this and talking to the people from the restaurant via the people who were there that she, at the party that she sat with or it was the restaurant staff they decided just to take her in to the Malibu Lost Hills police station where she was then booked and fingerprinted and her car was impounded with all of her stuff in it from my understanding 
they might have taken her but we'll see why in a second that wouldn't make sense after hearing from Mildred about Matrice's situation, Latisse called the police station where Matrice was heading to, so the Malibu Lost Hills station. Some sources say that Latisse specifically called to ask basically that when Matrice was being released, like to let her give her a call, let her know. Others said that during the call, she decided to have her daughter stay the night Some and like bail her out the next day. Some sort of seemed to be some kind of combination of the two. Like it started one way and then said, okay, maybe I'll let her stay the night if that's, you know, the safest, depending on when she can be let out. And then I'll, you know, then call me and I'll come get her kind of a thing. I'm kind of leaning more towards that. But just for transparency, there's some sources that say different things. Regardless, the fact that Latisse contacted the station and that, you know, to ha- like have her be notified when she would be being released was never mentioned or notified or, I'm sorry, given notice <laughs> to the commander on duty who was in charge of, you know, the holding of Matrice at that time. The officer on duty, who is no longer a police officer now, said he took Latisse's call and testified that his shift had shortly ended after he got off the phone with her. I don't know if he forgot, didn't think it was that important. I don't know, couldn't find it. All I saw was that he was just like, yeah, well, my shift ended early or like was ending. So, you know, which is just like, oh my God. <laughs> That is just so fucked up. But basically, the officers at the station essentially had no clue that someone, let alone her mother, had been calling about her and was looking to, you know, assist in this situation. So because of this, the jailer directly responsible for Matrice does not know this. And they decide that they can release Matrice. And this happens just after midnight on September 17th. The jailer testified that they had not seen any erratic behavior from Matrice, but also, again, they were not told about her mental state at all. So if you're not looking for something, you're not going to find it. Apparently, the arresting deputy testified that no one at the scene had told him, like at the restaurant, had told him about her mental state and that she seemed normal, but... Emails found and submitted as evidence prove that that was not the case and that technically he did knew. And it's just infuriating. I'm not sure what happened to him and I don't really care. I just hope all of the bad things happen. Well, not all of them, but to a degree in which he deserves because like, what, like, how are you not doing your job? Like, what the fuck? And just the overall amount of just lack of communication between this own department itself is so just infuriating. (laughs) So, of course, the jailer decides that, you know, she offers Matrice the option to stay the night or, you know, get her a ride. But Matrice refuses. So they let her go out into the world alone with no phone, no money, no ID, and no car. See what I mean? Like, 
that's why I don't think they took her stuff with her. Like, I think they just left her stuff in there and sent it all to the impound lot. Which, okay, maybe I can see that, but it also just seems super fucking lazy. And also, at this point, like, that's the person you've arrested. Like, why? And you're releasing her. So why wouldn't you have her, at least her purse and her phone? I, I, I just... I <laughs> At around 5.30 that morning, Latisse called the station again. Of course, she was told that her daughter was released and no longer in their custody. They explained to her, and again, it makes sense, you know, it's fucked up, and I get all the reasons behind it, but it really sucks in this situation. Because Natrice is obviously a 24-year-old woman, she is an adult. Even though they tried to convince her to stay and to get her a ride home so she could get there safely, Matrice still refused. And at that point, because she's an adult, there's nothing they could have done. Latisse immediately filed a missing persons report. Police got a call not long after from a man named Bill Smith. He stated that he and his wife had seen someone matching Matrice's description walking around his backyard located in the Monte Nido neighborhood of Calabasas. Now, instead of jumping at the chance to go check it out, police decided to wait a few hours to go over there and start searching the area. Other searches would be organized over the months and rewards would be offered. There would also even be sightings of her in other places. But it was no use. On August 9th, 2010, California State Park Rangers, who were searching for signs of a potential Mexican cartel-run pot farm in Dark Canyon. Now, there had been a raid on this particular farm a year prior, and they were looking for signs of evidence of, you know, the cartel having returned and starting this operation all over again. Instead, they stumbled on skeletal remains that were partially mummified, camouflaged by the surrounding mulch, twigs, and leaves. The skull and spinal cord were found detached from the rest of the skeleton. The coroner's report would prove the remains belonged to Matrice Richardson. And now the next part of this case and how the police handled it is just an absolute mess. So if you would like to look at the sources to get more information, I'm just going to be discussing like just a brief summary of some of the problems that they were going on. So again, if you want to read it in more detail, check out the sources at the bottom of the show notes of this episode. The police were absolutely just completely disorganized with how they handled her remains. The crime scene and, like I said, just her case. I mean, the sheer amount of incompetence is just insane. So, you know, like I said, just to sum it up, because it is a lot to get into, her body was removed against the coroner's orders, so the scene wasn't evaluated properly. They decided to send a completely different team the next day to expect, inspect, sorry, the scene. And they were at one point dropped off at the wrong location. And for some reason, no one had a fucking GPS device with them, which apparently is like coroner slash like forensic investigator stuff 101. 
Then also, not all of her remains were recovered. I mean, days later, her finger, like her finger bones were discovered by her mother, who had just gone down there to lay flowers. And then also on top of that, her clothes, her shoes was never found. And on top of all of that, because of, I guess, the lack of evidence or lack of knowledge of how to handle cases like this or just, you know, trying to play catch up, essentially, I feel like some people think that this case is a cover up. I personally don't think so. I think it's just them having tried to play catch up and also trying to cover their ass of not really giving a shit, I think. That's my opinion. So because of all that, her death was ruled as undetermined. Matrice's parents filed separate civil suits against the L.A. County Sheriff's Department, citing negligence. In 2011, they each received a settlement of $450,000 each. In November of 2015, her family submitted a request to the California Attorney General's office in hopes of finding grounds to press formal charges against the same department. It was initially denied, but the decision was reversed in January of 2016, and an official probe was launched. The investigation shortly concluded in December that same year, and sadly, because of the lack of evidence, the inquiry was dropped altogether. It is still claimed by authorities that there was no foul play involved in her death. I personally don't think there is enough evidence to say that foul play wasn't involved. I mean, again, some of her body parts were missing. They didn't have all of, you know, the evidence. Who knows how long she had been there? I mean, I <laughs> I just feel like they didn't know what to do and how to you know, move forward. Because I feel like mummified remains and just decomped remains in that condition aren't something normal coroners or normal medical examiners have to examine. So I'm not sure if he was just, or maybe she, I can't remember exactly the name of the coroner. I don't think they mentioned it. But, um, but anyway, they could have just been like, well, I will give it my best college try and we'll close it from there. And if, you know, if we can't figure it out, we can't figure it out. We're done, you know? So I think, like I said earlier, I know that there were um, theories of this being some sort of conspiracy cover-up type of thing. Like I said, I don't think that is necessarily cover-up. I really just think it's an insane amount of incompetence. So... Unfortunately, that is all I have for you all. I mean, it's just a horrible, sad case. <sighs> so, I hope you all stay safe out there, stay healthy, do all the things. Don't forget to follow True Crime and Academia on social media at True Crime and Academia on Instagram, TikTok, and Threads. Also at TC and Academia on X slash Twitter. If you would like to access this episode ad-free or get bonus episodes, go to patreon.com slash ivorytowerboilerroom and become a subscriber today. And until next week, my loves, I will see you all later.